Welcome to the Experience Christian Church Message Podcast. We are a church startup based out of Exton, Pennsylvania, committed to giving the community a fresh start with God and with church. Our mission is to help people experience God's love in a practical way. We would love to connect with you. Would you text ECC info to 94000 or go to our website, experiencecc.org for more information and to learn how you can be a part of our community. Enjoy today's message. Thank you. That was a great morning so far. Appreciate you guys. One more range of hallelujah and I would have passed out, I think. That was good. That was my limit. I saw Sean holding strong. You were holding strong in there, Sean. That's good. That's, That's good work. Well, do you remember the first time you bought somebody a gift that really meant something from you, like a non-family member? Do you remember the first gift you purchased? For me, I can remember I bought this very special lady in my life a Valentine's Day gift. And I honestly don't remember how long we were together. I just know I needed to purchase something really nice for her. And I thought I would get her some jewelry. You know what I'm saying? Feeling that? So I got her some jewelry. And I was excited to give her the jewelry. And I knew in my heart she deserved to get jewelry for Valentine's Day. Now, I was considering what kind of money to spend on this, so I thought it would be appropriate to spend two weeks of my hard-earned money towards this. I got your attention, right? Yeah. Two weeks worth, and so I went and picked this thing out, and I'm like, all right, this is it. It's time to give it to her. And I gave it to her, and she did exactly like I thought. Her eyes lit up. She was excited. She held this gift. She went and showed some friends, and then the drama came. You see, Anita, I got that for her. But her friend Carrie, she didn't have a man like me in her life. And she wanted some gifts. (laughs) And so I realized the kind of drama that was going to unfold in Mrs. Rowe's third grade class. Uh Uh-huh. Third grade, oh yeah. It was two weeks of hard-earned allowance. I thought about all the things I could have spent that money on, right? I could have got a mad and a cracked magazine. I could have got garbage pail kids. I was, and I don't need to prove I'm an 80s kid, there was a Michael Jackson uh, remote uh, microphone that could, I could tune into an AM station and sing along with it. I thought I could sing. All these things I could have done with that money, but I was like, no, she deserves it. But here's what I learned about gift giving, right? There's some drama that's associated with gifts. We don't have to give gifts because of a good motion. Guess what Carrie said to Anita? She's like, well, I like Matt. And so she went and asked me out. Some drama, right? And then I said, Anita, I am just struck by this. I think I'm going to go with Carrie. (laughs) Isn't that awful? Awful. I'm repenting of that from today. I'm actually making the joke. That's probably not what to say. But this is what happens in our life. Because here's what I want you to understand. We can give gifts for wrong reasons. Did you know that? We can give gifts because we want to do it for ourselves. It wasn't obviously about Anita. It was about me that wanted to buy a gift. I was caught up in what it meant to give someone a gift. I was caught up in going, I looked at, I think it was Kmart. I went to Kmart and looked through those display cases two weeks in a row before I made my decision on the Peridot set that I got her. And when I took it to her, I was all about me as she opened it up and saw how great it was. And it was all about me when she received it. And in fact, when Carrie liked it, I said, I'm going to be with Carrie now. It wasn't anything to do with her. It was about me. It was a very selfish gift to give. You know, gifts can also be used to manipulate. You know, you can give someone a gift and hope to get something back, right? Some of you have a budget line item at work that's on entertaining clients 
or taking them out to eat or giving them fancy seats because you want to get them to change the way they think of you through gift giving. Gifts can be given in an attempt to restore relationship. Some gifts are given to get out of the doghouse or you get an intense conversation. I was shocked by this article. I'm not endorsing this article, but read this quote about how to give a gift after a makeup fight. It says, the amount of money you shell out on the gift purely depends on how big a fight you just had. Flowers, cards, and chocolates do good for regular scuffles. But if you just had the fight, which almost ended in a breakup, then maybe you need to dig really deep into your wallet. Make sure to put a lot of thought into your gifts. You can't just calm a raging girlfriend with any trinket. I'm offended by that. Now, that's not from the Bible, let me be clear. <laughs> you said it seemed very biblical. You're ready to start an argument right now. <laughs> Gifts can be given to pacify too, right? I'm obliged to buy this for you because, well, it happens to be your birthday or it's Mother's Day or it just happens to be you're graduating, so I guess I should give you a gift. And so we could do that to pacify someone. But at its purest form, gifts can be an expression of love. Gifts can be a reflection of how you feel inside manifested and given in a meaningful way. And you might think, why all this talk about gifts? Well, G, our last G in this series is G-giving. And we're going to be talking about gifts. We're in a series called Back to the Basics. And we've been talking about the complexities of the Christian faith and how can we reduce them to really practical examples that we can live out. We said if someone was to ask you how you were doing spiritually, too often we start thinking of this checklist mentality. Well, have I been to church lately? Or have I prayed lately? Or have I read my Bible lately? All are good indicators, but that's not a reflection of how you're doing spiritually. How you're doing spiritually is a reflection on how you're obeying Jesus' greatest commands, which is loving God and loving others. Don't look to a checklist if you're wondering how you're doing spiritually. Look at how the love is overflowing from your heart, how you're talking to others. If you're showing meaningful love and you're showing the goodness that's required, a reflection of a life that's in love with Jesus. Then we looked at five Gs. The first G was grace. We said we don't get to a relationship with Jesus because we earn it. It's a grace-based gift. It's a gift. God longs to have us back in relationship, so we embrace His grace. But we also maintain our relationship with Jesus based on grace. It's not about how good we did today. It's about, hey, we, God, I need your grace to live in a good relationship with you, right? The second week, we talked about what is it about growth? We're never going to be perfect this side of heaven, but that's not an excuse to live however we want. We should see a constant transformation of becoming more like Christ than our character. It's not instantaneous. But there are some practices that we can do, we can engage in that help us become more godly. And new spiritual practices are important in our growth. It's God's work, but our participation in that. Third was groups. We said we're not made to do life alone. We need people in our lives that will encourage us. They'll remind us that God's grace is for us. And they also give us some truth every now and again and say, hey, you can do better than that, right? Not in a condemning way, but we feel like they're teammates rallying around us. And then last week we talked about gifts. God has given you natural abilities. He's given you a purpose. And not everyone has those same things. And when you live those things out, beautiful things happen and the world is a better place because you're living out how God has uniquely made you to fulfill your purpose. And today, we're talking about giving. And giving is the focus here is knowing that one of the biggest ways of reshaping our hearts towards God and others is to openly share our resources. G is about giving to others. And it's an interesting talk because I was hoping it was going to be your week because, you know, giving has this kind of connotation with church, doesn't it? The church just wants your money. No. 
We just want your, no, yeah, it's money. That's what everybody says, right? We're just all about your money. It's all about money. It's all about money. But money is a focal area of our lives. You look at the APA, the American Psychological Association, it says 72% of adults reporting feel stressed about money. Anybody feel stressed about money ever? Anybody in a relationship, money is a major source of conflict in their relationships. 31% of couples say it's a major source of conflict, which is really challenging because how are you going to go buy stuff for somebody when they're mad at you when money's the conflict? It's also not a new thing. The Bible talks a whole lot about money because it's important and it's central. 10% of the verses in the Gospels are about money. 16 of Jesus' 38 parables address money and possessions. In the, all of the Scripture, 2,300 verses talk about money. 800 are about faith. And so what are we talking about today? Well, we're talking about the heart behind this. What is it that we treasure? We're going to look at Matthew chapter 6 together. I don't know if you know the opening Scripture that Craig read about worrying is attached to money in it. And so this is a little bit of what prefers that verse. Jesus says, don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. So let's first define treasure. Treasures are things our hearts assign great value to. I like the question, if there was a house fire, what would you go in and grab? A possession, right? And it wouldn't, obviously it'd be your kids, but what item would you get? Mine would be this wedding ring. This is not my wedding ring. This is my wedding ring, which I happen to love. But this one almost means a little bit more to me. This was my grandfather's wedding ring. My grandfather would wear this in front of me, and I would watch him take it off on occasion. And he would just take it off, and he would sit, and he would polish it. And he would treasure it to some capacity. I would watch him do this and put it back on, and I just watched him for years do that. 16 years specifically. That's how long he had lived past my grandmother's life. My grandmother passed when I was in second grade, and I just watched him take this off and play with it regularly. And I asked him right before I got married, I was like, Granddad, do you still miss Grandma? And he said, every day. Every day. And it reminds me that love's not cheap, that love costs us dearly. And I like this circle, love must never come to an end. And so this treasure of mine, I don't know what it's worth. It's not worth a significant amount, but to my heart, it's worth a lot, right? But we also see where some treasures get to be the best of us when a treasure gets misplaced. Lord of the Rings is making a big comeback if you've seen it. And you know what happens when a treasure becomes an obsession and you reach that storyline, right? Gollum, that little Smeaglish character who says, my precious, and he's willing to betray anyone. He's willing to step on any relationship in order to get that ring. Sometimes our treasures can become obsessions. And Jesus is warning us about that. Jesus is asking us to treasure the things that matter most to him. And what matters most to him is found in the great commandment, right? Our relationship with him and our relationship with others. All of those rules in the Old Testament, they were written in order to protect a relationship with God and relationships between people. In fact, you could say rules reflect a treasure. I have a rule with my children. Don't talk to your mom a certain way, right? Because I treasure my wife. You might have a rule, don't eat in the car. It's not because you have a problem with eating. You have a problem with stains in your car, right? You care about how that thing's treated. Every rule points towards something that the owner treasures. There's a point when you don't care about that car, right? You're like, yeah, you eat whatever you want. Throw it in there. Uh, you know, I'm hungry. I'm going to find some popcorn that fell in there earlier on to take a snack. That's what happens in our cars and we don't treasure them. So God says, treasure the things that matter most to him, which is people and others. 
Here, Jesus is asking us to think about the things that are most precious to him and us. And Jesus is telling us to care about the things that are going to last for eternity. Make sure you focus on the things that matter. Jesus is saying, don't major in the minors. Don't treasure a car that you drive that's going to rust out more than the person who's next to you. Don't treasure a home where you can seclude yourself more than a community that needs your involvement. Don't treasure which island you're going to vacation to next and forget about where you're going to spend eternity. How much time do we devote to thinking about the things that we treasure versus the times we spend investing in things that God treasures? It's an interesting question to reflect on. I'm always dreaming of the next thing, but is it the right thing? I don't know if, if any of you have read the book or seen the movie Same Kind of Different as Me. Same Kind of Different as Me is a movie about Ron Hall and Denver Moore. They're friends from very opposite ends of the uh, fiscal spectrum. Ron Hall, he's rich, has so many possessions. Denver Moore, he's facing homelessness. And they're sitting down for coffee, one meaning neither envies each other's position in life. They both feel for one another in some way. And then Ron, he has all this influence, and he sets his key down on the table as they're drinking coffee together. And Denver looks at this key ring and says, do you own the things that those keys fit into? And he'd never been asked that question. He's like, there's 10 keys here. Yeah, I guess I do. And then Denver said, do you own them or do they own you? There's a lot of wisdom in that, isn't it? When you think about it, sometimes we worry about accruing things that we think will make us feel better or things that we can take care of, but then how much maintenance time do we spend investing in those treasures that we have, washing or cleaning or wiping or taking care of? or All of these things, are they matter for things for eternity? And we could say, Jesus, this is kind of hard. And he's like, it is hard. That's why I'm telling you. You see, Jesus says, wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. John Ortberg said, Jesus doesn't say this to be mean. He's just stating a reality. Like, we know this is reality. He goes on to say, being a follower of Jesus requires cultivating the kind of heart Jesus had for people, especially the poor, the hungry, those without power, those who are victims of injustice. It means extending our love and support regarding the church through helping lost people hear about and embrace the good news of the gospel of Christ. You hold yourself. We must be Christ's hands and feet in treasuring all human beings. It's a challenge. To treasure human beings requires a big heart change, doesn't it? We're almost at Christmas season. I know that's hard to hear, but think about the Grinch when we watched his heart transform, that little heart that was so tight, that was skeptical of everyone else, that was always looking at other people as an enemy. And then his heart softens and it pumps and it gets bigger and he actually gives the spirit of generosity. We're moved by that kind of generosity. Think about Ebenezer Scrooge in the Christmas Carol, right? Refuses to give any of his resources. Finds great comfort in seeing the accumulation of resources at the expense of everyone that he's around. Business partners, the poor, the sick, the orphans. And then he gets a chance to look at life through a different lens. And he has a radical transformation. And transformations are exciting. Have you seen someone lose their death grip on their treasures and are willing to share it's a beautiful, moving thing to see, and it's wonderful to see in our own lives. These shifts are huge. Jesus goes on to say, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and, don't say it yet, 
What's he put in there? But don't say it out loud, because what could it be? What would make sense? You can't serve both God and the devil, right? Wouldn't that make sense? You can't serve God and the devil. Maybe think about yourself. You can't serve both God and yourself. That makes sense. You can't serve God and your boss at times. But no, what's he put in there? You can't serve both God and money. What is Jesus getting at? Our money says in God we trust, right? Of course we don't trust in money. It always points us back to God. But is that the case? Because we can focus on our money. And we can look at how do we take care of our money and our stuff more than giving that to God. Jesus says you can't serve both God and money. And we know that nothing competes more for our hearts than our own selfish pursuits. What's broken in me when I look at a bill that I'm supposed to split with a friend and I wonder, did they get a better deal on the split check than I did? That's embarrassing to admit, you know? He's kind of like, let me, let, me, let me do that math again to make sure that's even. Why is it that I, when I pay for a meal and someone else ordered the same thing and theirs is bigger, I'm mad inside? <laughs> I just paid the same amount and they got double the portion size. Here's a statement I tell myself. Greed is the assumption that it's all for my consumption. Greed is that when I look at what I have, what I own, and I take inventory, that I think, look, all this is mine, and I can do whatever I want with it. It is mine and mine and mine. We never like it when a kid says that, right? I've admitted to you that what I do with a pack of gum sometimes, if I have 20 pieces, sometimes I'll do this maneuver. Greed is the assumption. It's all for my consumption. You don't like people like that. You catch somebody doing that, you're like, you're shady, <laughs> right? <laughs> so I purposely go, anybody on a piece? <laughs> Greed is the assumption. It's all for my consumption. You see, what Jesus is telling us to do is it's not that money's bad. It's not that resources are wrong. They just become wrong when we treasure them. We can take a treasure and appreciate it but we can take a treasure and say, it's my precious. We can take a treasure and say, mine. But I look at myself as an accountant, not an owner. Because one day I'll give an account to God of how I handle all my stuff, right? See, God's not interested in just what I do with this portion of my money. God cares what I do with all the money he's entrusted to me. It's not like, okay, God, here's your piece. This is mine. This is all yours, God. And just like the pressure of this series has all been like, what do you do if Jesus is living in your place at Colossians 1.23? What would Jesus do if he saw your pile of resources? Well, we don't have to guess. We can look at something Paul wrote. Look what Paul wrote in 1 Timothy 6, 17 and 19. He says, teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and to trust in money. And you might say, I'm not rich. I'm not rich. You are <laughs> compared to the world, right? If you made it here today, if you have it at home, you have what you need. You might not have everything that you want, but you have what your needs are covered. So he's speaking to us. And he goes, don't put your trust in their money. Anybody have a 401k or retirement plan and you just took a big breath of the past two years, you're like, what happened there? <laughs> All right? We can't put our trust in that. It's so unreliable. Their trust should be in God, who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Not what we want, but all that we need for our enjoyment, we can actually enjoy the things that we have. Tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works. 
I have so much good work to do. Do you need something? Do you need something? Do you need something? Let me come alongside you and help you. That's good work. And generous to those who are in need, always being ready to share with others. Buy the multi-pack, right? Be ready to share. Share with other people. I'm going to bring some in case someone needs some. And by doing this, they'll be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future so they may experience true life. That's a good word, right? That is a good word. And here's the deal. Giving's a discipline. It's something we get good at. We learn it. It can be difficult at first, but I believe God meets us wherever we find ourselves giving. And there's something beautiful when our hands go from our possessions like this to this and then to this. It's a beautiful transition. In fact, it's a great representation of what God is doing in your heart because that is true transformation to see something spiritual happen when we do that. You know, I'm going to invite you to consider giving to God in church. Like, what does it mean to give to a church specifically? And you might say, oh, I don't know, that sounds, that sounds like self-seeking. Well, this church exists. Our churches exist because of generosity. You know, Experience's journey started three years ago, and we made a declaration we always want to be a debt-free church. And so we raised funds, and so all the equipment that you've seen was paid for by people who, many of which, have never been to this church. They wanted to pay it forward. Your New Beginnings is debt-free. You've carried that statement deep because you don't want to be held from what God could do in the mission. And so it's really cool to be part of what you have. That's investing in an eternity. And if you have questions about what do you do with funds and how does that happen, ask. We have no problem sharing that. But it's more about what it does for you in your heart when you give to God cheerfully. It's a beautiful thing, and that's the key. This G is no different than the other Gs. You can do it and expect something and be very mad and disappointed if God doesn't meet you where you're giving. Have you ever seen that happen? Your heart can actually be worse off. And that's why 2 Corinthians 9, 7 says, you must each decide in your heart how much to give. Don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure, for God loves a person who gives cheerfully. Let me give you four reasons not to give, okay? Just like that list I gave you in the beginning. One, don't give to feel good about yourself. This is not about a show. This isn't like that, you know, Jesus told that story about that rich person who came in, dropped his money, that big clanging sound that sounded like this big cluttering thing. And everybody's like, look how much they gave. You know what you could buy with that? Wow, that's amazing. Don't give for that reason. Don't give to feel good about yourself. The second one is don't give to manipulate God. God, if I give you this, I got big expectations on a tenfold return. God might do that, might do that, but don't do it to manipulate God. We wouldn't verbalize that out loud, but sometimes we have a thought like, if I do this, God, I need you to do this. Don't give to restore a relationship with God. I was particularly bad this week. I better give God a little extra. God doesn't respond that way. Jesus paid the price. We accept God's grace. We can give out of a cheerful and thanksgiving heart, but don't give to restore a relationship. And don't give to pacify God. I was raised in church. I know I'm supposed to give X percent. Here you go. I'm giving it what I would like to do with that if I didn't have to give it to God. Right? Ever seen that? We want to do it sincerely. Give as a way to express your love and trust in God. Give out of a grateful heart. Get out of a joyful heart. Recognize what God's done for you and realize, I can't give out, give God. Out, give God. And when God says, don't worry about tomorrow because he can meet my needs, it's that response that we say, God, it's all yours and I'm going to trust you. 
If you can save my wretched soul, you can save my mortgage. <laughs> if you can save how trouble, my troubles in this world, you can save there. If you're interested in making a step towards giving, here's what I would encourage you to do. One, consider giving an amount. If you've never done it before and you can do it cheerfully, say, okay, this is what I've decided in my heart to give cheerfully. I'm not going to be sad. I'm giving this amount. Some of you, you've been given that amount and you're thinking, man, I should start thinking about what a tithe looks like. I'm going to give 10%. You're like, whoa, 10%? I started doing that as a kid and I've never missed it. And I've actually seen God's hand in miraculous ways through that. And you might say, I don't know if I'd buy that. You don't have to buy it. If you can't find out, ask some questions, learn about it. And if you can't do it cheerfully, don't do it. And you might say, what does it mean to actually be generous? Why do we say tithes and offerings? Generosity is something that's pretty shocking for some people to hear. You know Rick Warren who wrote the book Purpose Driven Life? You seen that book? Do you know how much money he made off that? You talk about he won the lottery. But here's what him and his wife said. He went home to Kay and said, guess what we need to do? We can't transition any of the ways we live right now. We're going to keep the same car. We're going to keep the same house. And they prayed over it. And they gave all the money they had ever earned from the church back to the church. And they said, we still have extra. What are we going to do? And they came up with a philosophy that they've lived out called reverse tithing. They live on 10% and they give 90% away. Now, I don't know if I've heard of you. I've heard people talk about if I win the lottery, God, I'm going to give you 10%, God. If I win 1 billion, 100 million jurors, I'm generous. <laughs> I'm going to keep the 900 million and invest it with what I want, but I'm going to give you 100 million. What a different mindset. Because it shifts from, okay, God, here's a portion to God, this is all yours. What do you have me do? And it's not because you feel guilty. It's because you believe God wants to do something that lasts for eternity. People need to know the good news of Jesus. People need to understand that God is good and for us. So maybe your step is you want to take a step towards giving and generosity. Maybe it's towards your time. Maybe it's towards your treasures. Maybe you need to realize your first step is, I've got to get in control of my finances. Nancy Hornbeck, wave real quick. Sorry you can't see her on the video. But Nancy leads Financial Peace Universities. That's one model you could look at. Like, how do I get control of my finances? Because we're all accountable for all of it. And so that's a good opportunity too. But go back to what God does and why he does it. Giving is not only for the recipient. Giving is for us. There's something beautiful when our heart transitions from this to this. And God can use this in miraculous ways. And that's the promise we have. If you will, let's pray together 1 Timothy 6, 17, and 19. I'm going to rephrase that as a prayer. God, help us not to be arrogant or to put our hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. But God, help us to put our hope in you. God, you richly provide with us everything for our enjoyment. Thank you for that. Help us to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share by doing this, we will lay up treasures for ourselves as a firm foundation in the coming age so that we may take hold of the life that is truly life. God, we love you. We're thankful for the opportunity to be empowered by your Holy Spirit to live out the commands you've given us, to love you and to love others. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us. We hope something you heard today will draw you closer to God and encourage you to know him better. If you found this message podcast helpful, please subscribe, write a review, and consider sharing it with someone else. If there is anything we can do for you, a question we could talk through with you, a prayer we could say on your behalf, or a need you have, please don't hesitate to let us know. We are better together. 
please connect with us soon. Take care.